0: It's not even thinkable It's so disrespectful It's so dishonoring But you got to understand, brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago, it was 10 times worse It was 100 times worse To make this kind of request Is basically coming to the father and saying You know what? I I wish you were dead Give me my money Now this father's a wealthy man He has an estate He has livestock He has many people working for him This is a rich man this is a heartless request. Typically, you wouldn't receive an inheritance until the father passed away. But the, the, literally in the Greek, the, the, the son comes and says, I want my stuff. Give me my stuff. Now, what do you do if you want to try to liquidate your assets quickly? Let's say you're going to move and you've got a lot of stuff in your garage. What do you do? Garage sale, right? Now, some of you, it's really interesting when you have a garage sale. Because some of you, you sell things quickly. Someone comes up and they go, wow, that's a really nice TV. $10, can I have it for five? You're like, just take it. Wow, that's a beautiful jacket. $1, can I have it for a quarter? Okay. And then there's others of you that are offended. I paid $25 for that jacket, brand new at Macy's. I'm not selling it for any less than 10 $10. And so people come around, and you know what those garage sales are like. Because about 11 in the morning, you drive by one, and all the good stuff's still there. You just know, I'm just going to keep on driving, because that person's probably asking too much money. And and we can be like that, but if you want to get rid of your stuff quickly, just take it to the garage sale. This guy's request is heartless. I want you to liquidate your assets and give me what's mine. Give me what's coming to me. This kind of request was so dishonorable, it was worthy of both beating and death publicly. Beating and death publicly. But let's go on. Let's look at the father's response to such a heartless request. Because when your children come up with a heartless request for you, how would you feel? How would you respond? Verse 12 The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the inheritance. So he divided his property between them. He does it. He divides the property. And what does this say about the father? You know, if you were to tell this story to the tax collectors and the Pharisees and to the sinners, everyone would think, this is crazy. This is not even possible in our culture today. But as we go to the next slide, you look at the father. You look at his heart. And he says, you know what? Take it. Liquidate it. Give it to him. It's said by uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, selfishness is the only real atheism. Selfishness is the only real atheism. We are built on a culture of self. Get what you can. Get as much as you can get. And, and it's funny because it's so easy for us to... Look down on people who are corporately selfish or have embezzled money or anything like that. But our society is built on it, and you're a part of your society, and so am I. Selfishness is insidious. It's self-destructive, and it hurts other people. There's another quote I have on the screen. Selfishness is the filling of a cup that has no bottom. That was my quote. J- Josh Peterson right there. Yeah, J. <laughs> I know it sounds like, you know, Confucius or something like that. It's just me. <laughs> You like that? Okay, all right, cool. I do too. That's why I put it up there. But it really is true, and you know how I I realized that, or where it came from, is my own life. Living for myself, you know, it's just it's empty. You get you go for more and more. You can never make yourself happy. And and yet, look at the father—a reckless response. He actually does it. He actually liquidates. He has the garage sale. He probably sells a bunch of stuff for far under value. And he gives his son the inheritance. And this father, what he does in essence is he, he abandons his own honor. He doesn't stand up for his own honor in, in society. People look at him and go, how are you going to respond to your son? What are you going to do to him? Are you going to beat him? Are you going to kill him to uphold your honor? And the father says, I will be without honor. I abandon my honor. In favor of my son. And, and the Pharisees would look at this as such a weak-willed father. A father who has no spine. No backbone. And yet they don't know God. And so we read on. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Set off for a distant country. And there squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And the next thing that we see is, is this brash rebellion. What does brash mean? It's, it's rash. It's impetuous. It's thoughtless. He just went and spent everything I have, And it says, not long after that, so... So it was a very short amount of time the father had to sell off his possessions. This is completely unthinkable in the culture of the day. And then the the, the son, he leaves the country. He doesn't want anything to do with his own family, anything to do with his own land. And in the culture of the day, this was horrific. Land was handed down from family to family over generation to generation. Dating all the way back to Abraham dating all the way back to what God had given him. This lamb was from God, and it wasn't a commodity that's bought and sold like you and I might do today. It was part of who you were. It was your heritage. It defined you as well. The son goes to a distant country. I don't want to be with you people anymore. I don't even want to be around you. So he leaves Israel. He goes to a Gentile country. And the Bible says he squandered his wealth. He, he, he wastes it on loose living, the Bible says. We learn later in verse 25 it's on prostitutes. And he ends up with nothing. And he wakes up one day and his bank account is dry. And he's in a foreign place. And all of a sudden a famine hits. Now, now, now here, you've got to imagine this because none of us, and I mean none of us, understand what this means. When a famine hit in the first century. You ate garbage. And when the garbage ran out, you ate your sandals. And when you had no more sandals, it, it got bad. It, it got really bad. You, you, you just, if I could catch a bird, I'll eat it. Whatever I can catch. And when the animals are all gone, the Bible records that people ate each other. And even the afterbirth of a pregnant woman. This is how desperate things were in his life. It's a brash rebellion. It is a complete giving up of everything that was meaningful to who he was. Jesus paints us a picture of the absolute worst scenario for the absolute worst sinner that ever existed in the history of time. It wouldn't get any worse than this. And the Bible says that he then went and he looked to hire himself out to a citizen of that country. And the the Greek here in in the Bible, it says literally hiring himself. It's not even close. It's he attached himself. He glued himself to a Gentile. Completely forsaking everything and everyone that he had left. And then the Bible goes on. It doesn't stop there. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, verse 15, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He ends up tending pigs. I mean, again, in Jewish culture, brothers and sisters, this was the low of lows, the unclean animals that you couldn't even be around. He's feeding them, he is serving the pigs. And he's looking at their food and he's wishing he could eat it because he's so hungry. He's so gaunt. He's so sickly. When I went to Cal Poly, they, they had pigs that were 500 pounds. And then when they brought out the food to feed them, they just poured the slop down. And in the slop were corn cobs, eating corn cobs. And the pigs would grab those corn cobs in their mouths and they had these giant teeth. And they just crushed them in their mouth and they ate the corn cobs. See, this man longed to eat with the pigs, but he, he couldn't do it. You and I couldn't eat a corn cob. He wishes he had something to put. He wishes he could be a pig. He was lower than the pigs. He was lower than the swine. And so we see the beginnings of the next phase of the story, a desperate repentance. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, the Bible says, and now finally this story that's so audacious, so out there to the audience that's listening to him, finally people begin to think, oh, now Jesus is going somewhere with this. He's finally coming to his senses. This now is starting to make sense. Even though this this teaching, this story is so impossible, now it's starting to make sense. He's coming to his senses. What's he going to do? He said, how many of my father hired men, verse 17, have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. You know, if you think about how horrible, how disrespectful and how dishonoring this son had been, Many of us today would not even think to begin to ask our parents, I want you dead, give me your money. And then many of us would not proceed to to take their money and do something good with it, something positive, invest it, grow the family business. Instead, to take it and completely squander it in a couple of months' time on wild living, on selfishness. And so we can look at this guy and go, man, I'm not as bad as this guy. But this is exactly the point. Jesus wants you to see the absolute worst sinner in the absolute worst situation and ask yourself, how does God feel about that guy? How does God feel about the worst sinner at the worst time in his life in the worst situation? How would God respond to him? How would God respond to me? How would he respond to you? These are the kind of people that kept coming to Jesus. These were the kind of people that Jesus was surrounded with. And the Pharisees looked at Jesus and they said, How can you defile yourself with these people? The Pharisees were so anti-evangelistic. And yet Jesus spent time with the sinners. And so we see the desperate repentance. He comes to his senses. He says... Man, if I think about those days with my dad. He had all these hired men and they had food to spare. He starts to think about his father. and He remembers how generous his father was. How compassionate he was. How good he was even to his hired men. And this hired man, this hiring himself and, and, and the men that he had hired in the Greek. This is the equivalent of somebody like a day laborer. Someone that would have no relationship to the father. He would just hire off the street to work for him for a day. And yet, even people that he had no relational connection to that would just work for him for a day, the father lavished food upon. Lavished compassion upon. And he remembers that. He comes to a sense, he goes, man, what am I doing in this stinking pig pen? I'm going to go back to my father. Now, this repentance is desperate. You have to understand, because in going back, what does he face? Not only his father Not only his family, he faces an entire village ready to let him have it. Have you ever done something really, really bad and you knew you are going to have to answer your parents for it? And you know, okay, I I can't, you know, I can't lie anymore. I can't, I just got to, I got to come clean. And whatever happens, happens. He has that moment in his life. But he understands it's not just about this because for there to be reconciliation in a first world culture there first had to be retribution. For there to be reconciliation with the father in this story, there first had to be retribution. He would have to go and he would have to sit amongst the villagers and he would have to hear all the abuse, abuse heaped upon him about his dishonoring of his family. And then eventually, maybe weeks later, the father would have an audience with him publicly. And the son would come and cry at his feet, kiss his dirty feet. And then the father would take out a whip and take the clothes off his back and flog him publicly to restore his honor. To restore his standing. And then if you want to be back in the family, you pay me back every cent. And when you pay me back every cent, I'll think about reconciliation. This son was so desperate. He was ready to die. He said, you know, if I've got to go through that, I've got to go through it. I've got got to do something. Every one of us reach a point in our lives where we've completely hit bottom. We realize we don't really have a relationship with God. Not the kind the Bible calls for. And we consider, can I even go to him? Can I approach him? Can I even think about it? And you've met people like this When when you invite them to church. You say, hey, come to church with me. And they say, you don't want me at your church. You don't know who I am. The walls might fall in around me if I enter your building. And we need to, as a church, brothers and sisters, we need to look at somebody like that and say, you're exactly who we want to come to our church. You're exactly the kind of person we're looking for. You're exactly the kind of person God's looking for. Because God wants to be reconciled to everybody. Imagine what it was like to go back. The embarrassment, the humiliation the agonizing, the restitution. And he says, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm I'm not even going to be asked to be in the family anymore. I just want to be like a day laborer. And I'm going to make minimum wage and hopefully someday I'll be able to pay him back. But at least I'll get to eat. At least there's enough food at the table. Now let's see what happens next. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. You've seen pictures today from the Middle East of older men, dignified men. They wear long robes. Robes that touch the floor. Because it's not dignified for an older patriarch of a family who is distinguished and honorable. To lift up his robes in any way would be seen as completely and entirely disgusting and wrong. And and, and older men in our society in the first century of Palestine, do not run. That's undignified. Older men kind of glide. They glide along. Am I doing it right? In my robes. If I run, I'm going to trip. So I glide. I'm smooth. I'm suave. Trying to build myself up in front of you. and No one's buying it. (laughs) This is what it was like. Not the picture Jesus tells of God. Not of this father. This father is waiting at the city gate. So that the son doesn't even have to begin to enter and face his own humiliation. The son, he sees the son and he lifts his robes and he sprints to him with his arms open. Son, you're home. And he lavishes him with kisses. One embrace like this in the first century signified reconciliation of the relationship not a penny having to be paid, no restitution having to be done, the father dishonors himself by running to the son and embracing the son and taking him back into the family. You are mine. And he lavishes kisses upon a son that he probably only half recognizes because he's so emaciated, starving, Dirty and smells like a pig. This is who God is. Do you know him? This is who God is. And then he says, let's have a party. You know what I want to do? I want to have a party. This is the heart of God, brothers and sisters. We so miss this. We so get caught up in negativity and, and, and being judgmental. And, and we've got to see God for who he is. God wants to rejoice. He wants to celebrate. He wants to throw a huge party. And so what does he say to do? He turns to his servants and he says, what? Bring the best robe. You know, brothers, that blue suit you got. That tuxedo sitting in the closet you only get out for special occasions. Get that one out and put it on him. And then what else? The ring. Back in the family. The family crest right there. And sandals. Only the wealthy walked around in sandals, especially in the house. Why would I do such a thing? And then what else do we do? Bring in the fattened calf. The one we've been feeding for 10 years. For the next family wedding. The one that feeds 300 villagers. Slaughter it now, tonight. We're having a party! Woo! Now some of us are laughing because I'm being a little obnoxious. But I think this is pretty close to God's response. And some of us are offended. And we look at a story like this and we go, how could God be like that? That's not right. That's not what this guy deserves. But brothers and sisters, that is grace. That's grace. And if grace makes us angry, we've got a problem. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about the father more. And we're going to be talking about the second son. That's going to be awesome. But today we're talking about the first son. We see a party ensue that is unlike any other. It's crazy. Why have a party? Because the son of mine was lost and has been found. The son of mine was dead. He's alive again. If a son were to go to a distant country, if a son were to ask for his inheritance early, a family in the first century... And some today's, uh, in today's Middle Eastern uh, societies, would have a funeral for them that week. They have been disowned. They're no longer part of the family. The father immediately embraces the son, kisses the son, dresses the son, reinstates the son to the family. And says, let's have a party. If that's not the God you serve this morning, I don't think you know God. And I think this is a challenge for me because sometimes grace does make me angry. I'll be honest with you. And I think this is going to be a challenge for a lot of us to continue to look deeper into the scriptures and understand who God is really. See, the Pharisees, they were part of a legalistic system that said you have to earn your way back in. You have to earn your way to heaven. You have to do these things in order to get there. And if you don't do these things, you're not going to get in. And the tax collectors and sinners were the messed up son. They were the ones that just didn't get it. But when they saw a father like that, it was like, Whoa, that's what that's what God's like? That's not what they're saying. See, nobody in the story, nobody listening to the story really knew God. And Jesus was trying to rectify that. The party's on. Send out the invitations. Get as many people to come as possible. This is gonna be awesome. This morning we have an opportunity. To give our special missions contribution. And in giving your special missions contribution. What makes it special. Is that you have an opportunity to display the heart of God. Not only here. But to people you will never meet. That you will never know. You have an opportunity to further the work of the gospel in other places. So that more rejoicing can be done in heaven. Because more lost sons and daughters are coming home. You know, Jesus said in the Scriptures that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This series on lost is about that entirely. It's about recovering the heart as a disciple of Jesus for what's lost. That's why Jesus came. How can we call ourselves a Christian or any kind of follower of Jesus at all if we are uniquely involved in the seeking and saving of the lost? It's why Jesus came. He's trying to help people understand God wants to party. He wants to rejoice over you, as the book of Ezekiel says. He wants to scream and shout. You know, my sister graduated from college this weekend. She got her AA degree from El Camino College. It was really cool because she's taken literally one class a semester for like 10 years. I don't know how long it's been, but I mean, you talk about perseverance and she did it, and it was so great to be there. And I just, you know, when she got up there, I was fired up for her. I just couldn't contain myself. And so, you know, they read the name, and everyone cheers and everything. But she was kind of toward the end, and so there was a there was a moment of silence. And I screamed out with all my might, "Yeah, Aaron!" Woo! And my sister said at that moment, she turned to the, next, the guy next to me and she goes, that's my brother, the minister. <laughs> and about three seconds after that, I had forgotten that I was holding my baby. And there's this pause and all of a sudden the loudest scream, "Yeah!" and I'm like, oh my gosh, here take him, you know, I mean, I felt horrible. When you are fired up, when you rejoice, when you celebrate, there is a recklessness in your own heart. You, you forget about what's around you. It's like, yeah! And that's what God's like. How reckless are you? How recklessly do you rejoice? How reckless is your heart for grace? How reckless will you be this morning as you have the opportunity to give to the work of missions? You know, if you're visiting with us this morning... This is for our membership. If you want to give this morning and support what's happening in the missions, amen. But we have no expectation that you do that. You can certainly do that out of the goodness of your hearts. For those of us as disciples, this is an opportunity to connect our heart with the heart of God and rejoice with him and celebrate with him the amazing things that are happening in Central and Latin America. And no matter where you're at today, no matter what church you're a part of, you can, you can participate in that right now this morning. You can be a part of that. You go, well, I, I feel kind of lost myself. That's okay. You're in the right place. We're all just trying to help each other get to heaven. We're all trying to grow faith. We're all trying to recover this heart of God inside of us. We want to wrap our arms around you. You know, the first time I came out to this church, I was a little weirded out. People were so happy and hugging each other. And you know I was a, a early 20s college student and I wasn't real comfortable with that. And as I watched the singing and I watched the clapping and I saw the smiling I thought, you know what? These people are either on something really strange or they've really found something that I don't have. And I said, yeah, I want I want to find out what this is about. I feel a little lost. And that's okay to feel that way. It's okay to feel that way. Mike shared a thought really brilliantly this morning in the community. It's okay to feel that way. There's people that can help you study the Bible. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And then the Bible goes on to say, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. You know, if we really are going to call ourselves disciples of Jesus this morning, we need to continue in the heart of doing what Jesus is doing. And I'm very excited to begin this series on Lost this morning because we have an opportunity to give it this time to our special missions contribution. We have an opportunity over the next couple of weeks to learn about a reckless love that God has for us, a grace that is so out there, so crazy, it was offensive to the people that Jesus was talking to. But it just showed how far they were from God and how much they didn't know the true God of the Bible. And let's not make that same mistake. Let's appreciate who God is. How much he loves us. How much he's done for us. How much he continues to embrace us and hug us and kiss us and love us. Even when we stink like a pig. And I know you do sometimes, right? I do too. I do too. We all do. As we pray, I really want you to wrap your heart around what we're doing at this time. Let's bow together. And then after the prayer, I'll explain kind of how we'll be dismissed into uh, the giving of the mission's contribution this morning. Let's bow together and pray. Almighty God and Father, truly we are indebted to you. God, we owe you so much that to be reconciled to you in this life would be impossible for us on our own. Father, if you expected reconciliation on our behalf to...